Are you someone who's so sure of everything? Give me a problem and I'll know straight away exactly what to do with it. Or are you someone who'd consider your self-confidence to be really quite low? Maybe like me, you're sometimes someone who knows absolutely what to do. You're very confident on lots of things. But then on something really important, like in my case, what to choose for supper, I can spend ages agonising in the supermarket, as Rachel well knows, and consequently very rarely lets me loose in the supermarket. Confidence is something that profoundly affects us all. And it's so right that in our series on soul care, we're looking today at the soul needs confidence. Many of us will have issues with confidence, be it our confidence in God or our confidence in ourselves, perhaps emanating from low self-esteem. We may feel we need to project self-confidence when under the surface that's absolutely the last thing we feel like. I didn't feel particularly confident when I realised I was going to need to preach on the subject of confidence today. Is it even right as a Christian that we seek to increase our self-confidence? So we're going to look today at why we need confidence, what we can learn about gaining confidence, and particularly from that fantastic passage from Ephesians that John's just read to us. So why does the soul need confidence, and where should we place our confidence? You can predict what I'm going to say in answer to the second question, and I'm not going to disappoint you. But there are actually some very good reasons why we should put our confidence in God and why that will have such a positive impact Monday to Saturday and even on a Sunday. Listen even to the dictionary definition of confidence. A feeling or belief that one can have faith in someone or something. So that definition itself mentions faith. Confidence first, I believe, gives us our basis for approaching God. Just a couple of verses before the passage that's been read, Paul writes that in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And that's one of 60 references in the Bible to the word confidence. We not only can approach God with confidence, but we need to have confidence in God as a Christian. Why otherwise would we pray? Why otherwise would we come to church? Why otherwise would we commit ourselves to Christ? Hebrews verse 16 of chapter 4 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that takes us into the second reason why I think we need confidence. It enables us to access the resources that we need to cope with all that life throws at us. I like the fact that mercy and grace come from approaching God with confidence. We're in a society that likes confidence. 
sometimes, do I say it, value and confidence a lot more than truth. But those we think of as super confident, we probably wouldn't necessarily think of as overflowing with grace and mercy. So let's not equate confidence with having to always be bold and upfront. Confidence in God will enable us to reach out to others with grace and mercy. It will enable us to discern the will of God. But thirdly, our confidence in God and the knowledge of his confidence in us does allow us to do things we might not otherwise be able or feel able to do. As many of you know, I start in a week's time a large new job. It's daunting, and I couldn't possibly do it on my own. But I believe in a God who can enable me and who can and does enable all of us to do what he wants us to do. Psalm 29 verse 8 says, With God's help I can advance against a troop. With my God I can scale a wall. What is the wall that God may be asking you to scale? Or to use the words of our song earlier, what are the walls that God wants to break down through you? Because with confidence, you can scale that wall or break down um, those walls if that's what God would want you to do. Because he will enable you to do that. It may be something quite small. Walls don't have to be big. But by being small, they may still be very significant for you and others. When we trust in God, our lives take on a new stability, focus and confidence that should reach out into every aspect of who we are and what we do. So let's now turn to how we ensure as part of soul care that we have confidence and we'll particularly focus on the passage from Ephesians chapter 3. And as I looked at this passage, the word that really stood out to me from it was power. It comes up three times in just five verses. We are strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, according to his power that is at work within us. And this isn't some small amount of power just to get by today. It is what Ephesians chapter 1 describes as his incomparably great power for all who believe. Let me say that again. His incomparably great power for all who believe. Not just for vicars, not just for prime ministers, those who want to be prime minister, those in lofty sounding positions. No. Paul says this incomparably great power is given to all of us who believe. Doesn't that say something about the confidence that we should have? That power that is given to all of us, chapter 1 said, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Wow, we all have God's resurrection power. And it's not just in us fleetingly. Perhaps when we're in church, perhaps in a moment in the, the worship slot when we're feeling really close to God. 
No, not just them. The word for dwell is apparently a Greek word that has real permanence about it. God has moved in and made his home with us permanently if we are Christians. Doesn't that again speak into the confidence that we should have from knowing that if we don't have confidence or let that confidence show, then we are limiting what God wants to do in us and what he is giving us the power to do. To be strengthened with power, verse 17 tells us that we need to be rooted and established in love. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? We've got the combination of a botanical phrase of being rooted with an architectural one of being grounded or established like a well-built house. Paul is saying that love needs to be our foundation on which our life is built. And this enables us, I think, to understand the dimensions of God's love. Yes, God's love is reckless, but it's also wide and long and high and deep. It's wide enough to, enough to encompass all of us. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach someone who might consider that they're the worst person on earth. Maybe you might sometimes have wondered, does God's love really extend to me? And it's high enough to link us to heaven. And that reference to how high the love of God is leads into the statement that we will be filled to the fullness of God. We are to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is that fullness of God? It's surely God's perfection that we won't achieve until heaven. But God expects us day by day to be growing towards the fullness of God as we're being transformed into Christ's image by the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of the passage that was read, there is reference to God as father of the family. And we often describe ourselves as the church family, quite rightly. Love is key in the church family, as in any family. And the whole notion of family comes from God. That should give us confidence and insight into our own families. But also underlines, I think, that we need one another within the family of the church. God's power works in us as individual Christians but it also works in us as a church together. So what do we do with the confidence that we have from Christ dwelling in every one of us that is a Christian? We should use it to give him glory in what we say and do day by day. The final verse of our passage is an important reminder to, to those of us that most of the time do feel quite confident. To him be the glory, it says. I can't believe I'm the only person who would admit when something's gone really rather well, to then thinking, yes, I did do very well. And I'm sure God would want us to feel affirmed by things going well and people commenting positively on that. 
And when we get brickbacks at work or home or uh, wherever, or even in church perhaps sometimes, then we need to have some encouragement to balance that. But in our hearts, we can't pray for something to go really well. And then when it does, take the credit ourselves. We need in our hearts to give God the glory. Does this ring true with you? Or are you thinking, Mark, it's okay for you, you're quite happy up at the front, but I'm not that confident myself. Well, first, those who coach top leaders would say that under the surface of a very confident-looking leader, and invisibly to almost everyone else, again and again, there's a serious lack of confidence in some area or another. Someone paddling around at times, hoping they won't be found out, who's learned to give the impression of confidence when underneath they're feeling anything but confidence, the so-called imposter syndrome. God has made us all different, and some of us will be less confident and will feel less confident than others. All of us matter equally. All of us are doing jobs or uh, volunteering or whatever we're doing that matters equally to God. Let's not say I'm just a teacher or I'm just this or I'm only that or whatever, as again and again many of us do to one another. Let's be proud of who we are and what we are and what we're called to be. Whether that's in paid work or not, doesn't matter. We're doing what God wants us to be doing. Aspects of our society, including social media, encourage us to show a high level of confidence. If you use social media, I'm sure you can think of people whose posts are always so positive. They're so assured. But if you know them well, you'll know that that's only part of the story. There's another side to that person that is nowhere near as confident or positive. We may be in that position ourselves with what we post about ourselves. We'll know people whose mental health is poor, who are unlikely to be feeling confident in themselves. Probably many of us in certain circumstances go really quite gingerly when we're talking to somebody rather than express a view in a really forthright way. And that isn't necessarily showing a lack of, of confidence. It may well be showing sensitivity and wisdom. But where we can and should be confident and ready to be confident is in who we are and what God has done for us. Instead of focusing on a to-do list, as I spend my life often doing, maybe we should sometimes look back at the great things that God has done in us and allow ourselves to be affirmed by that. Verse 16 of our passage talks about our inner being. Many of us will have an inner critic. It can be very healthy having an inner critic. But it can also be very destructive if our inner critic is always highlighting the things that we could have done better, continually reminding us of the negative things people may say about us. And very conveniently, 
erasing all those positive ones. Those who struggle with their inner critic may find the following quote from Louise Hay helpful. She writes, you have been criticizing yourself for years and it hasn't worked. Try approving of yourself and see what happens. If we struggle with low self-confidence, then our inner critic may have become overactive and be presenting an inaccurate picture of us. Let us try to see ourselves and others as equals. Not better, just different. Confidence is a state of mind, but it's something that we can work at. And as part of our care for our soul, it's something we should. Too much confidence can mean we overestimate our abilities and come across as arrogant. Too little, and we will miss opportunities. If God believes in us, which he does, then surely we should believe in us and enable him to do what he's trying to do in us. This passage reminds us that we can and should start with love. We need to understand God's love and we need ourselves to love. John Stott says that God has given us a love past knowing and he's turned it into a power past imagining. Let's try to recognize and take hold of that incredibly great power that God has put in you and in me. It's incredible to believe, but that is resurrection power. That's what we've signed up to. That's what we're offered. We sometimes sing, this is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. We need to take hold of that and follow that through in what we think and say and do. I'm going to read a few lines from Steve Clifford, who writes in the current magazine of the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, he writes of public leadership, but as I read a couple of paragraphs, do think of any situations you find yourself in, not just around public leadership. He says, I was struck by the fact that many Christians who hear the phrase public leadership assume such positions are not for them. There are a multitude of reasons why we might exclude ourselves. We might think, I'm not a leader. I can't influence anyone. I haven't got the education or confidence or experience. May I challenge that thinking, he says. The call to leadership, or perhaps I should, just, I should say influence, is not just for a few, it's for all of Jesus' followers. It's all of us. When we became a Christian, God came to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he promises to live within us, to enable us to be his representatives. That is the wonderful truth of Scripture. The writer to the Hebrews exalted readers to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love the thought that God has a race planned for each one of us to run. As we run that race, we discover that he goes before us, and while we may feel inadequate, unqualified, or feel like a failure, he promises to enable us. 
Paul sums it up in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's be encouraged, for there's not one of us who God has not prepared for good works. And as we give ourselves to this work, he writes, we will discover that we are making a difference and things are changing. In Philippians, Paul speaks of his confidence that God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. None of us are not that important, John. We are all matter if we believe that confidence that God is giving us. The writer of the Hebrews says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Holy Spirit does not make us timid, but gives us all power. As we grow in faith, our confidence will grow. He's always there for us. As we take a stand, whether it's in a conversation with a friend or colleague or more publicly, we will grow in confidence. As we pray, we'll grow in confidence. As we're filled with his spirit, we will grow in confidence. As we see and hear testimonies from other Christians in the church, as we do sometimes share, if they sound really impressive. Let's resolve not to be daunted by them, thinking that God doesn't work in me in that kind of way. But let's let that give us confidence as to how our extraordinary God may be wanting to work in us. Let's not compare ourselves to others. God has a different plan for me than he does for every one of you. He wants us to have the confidence not to try to be someone that we're not, but to believe in him. Each of us is equally a child of God. And to quote the end of the passage as I finish, let us trust him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.